So I thought, again, this evening I would start with a little humor, since uh, it feels appropriate in uh, the surroundings. <clears throat> so this is actually a memo from an insurance company that asked for a brief description descri- describing your particular accident. <clears throat> Well, this is the simplest one. The other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intentions. (laughs) And then some are real terrible. I'll I'll read one terrible one, and then I'll go on. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. (laughs) I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. The accident occurred when I was attempting to bring my car out of a skid by steering it into the other vehicle. (laughs) I was driving my car out of the driveway in the usual manner when it was struck by the other car in the same place it has been struck several times before. I was on my way to the doctor's with rear-end trouble (laughs) when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. (laughs) As I approached the intersection, a stop sign suddenly appeared in a place where no sign (laughs) had ever appeared before. I was unable to stop in time to avoid the accident. The telephone pole was approaching fast. (laughs) I was attempting to swerve out of its path when when it struck the front end. My car was legally parked as I backed into the other vehicle. When I saw I could not avoid the collision, I stepped on the gas and crashed into the other car. (laughs) Uh, Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. Yes, oh lordy. (laughs) The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. (laughs) What a hoot. See what we do? So I actually named this talk with a long, 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 long name. It simply goes, Trembling inside my armor, war raging, leaping off into the moat, landing softly on my breath.
trembling inside my armor, war raging, leaping off into the moat, landing softly on my breath. So tonight I wanted to uh, approach this, it's a very delicate place uh, where we uh, kind of take uh, a risk and also at the same time there's this uh, tremendous kind of force that holds us, simply we know is fear. One of David White's lines, which I love, is to know if it's really true, you have to feel the beckoning and the fear at the same time. And so I, say, I think a lot of what we're doing here, uh, in a sense, is uh, it's this thing about what's, what's comfort? You know, are we always trying to get comfortable? Is that it? Uh, but what are we doing here? I hope there's this peace. It's that kind of um, warrior part of us. Um, that uh, This is a quote from Pema Chodron. Fear is a natural reaction moving closer to the truth. Fear is a natural reaction moving closer to the truth. So we sit, we get quiet. Uh, We can become quite attached to the quietness. And yet, what's the purpose? What's behind all this? This is from uh, Erica Young. And the trouble is, if you risk nothing, you risk even more. If you risk nothing, you risk even more. So there is a war raging here. Uh, And it has to do with who we think we are, Uh, and how it's supposed to be. And how everyone else is. And so our challenge is here is to go up against somewhere that, that place, that friction. That, uh, first of all, we recognize uh, the trembling. Uh, and the trembling is the thing that defines the armoring, this, this really this body armoring that we carry around with us, that holds this concept of who we think we are and how it all works. Uh, but we need that trembling uh, to recognize uh, the, the hardness the fixedness, the 
identity that's created by it. We've built it uh, almost like a paper mache, you know, layer by layer by layer, and each has its own little uh, story from the past of how uh, it was, how important it was to put another piece of paper and some more paper mache on it over and over again. But the trembling from the inside, in great fortune, this is one of the most wonderful truths about this here, is that we're doing the trembling from the inside. One of the things over the, all my years of teaching and stuff, one of the things that's always been so difficult is to hear about the trembling that comes from the outside, the war from the outside. You know? and, and in groups, when I have, I think the hardest for me is when I have someone, I was, this was up in um, some years ago, where I had uh, two women in a very small group who had, one had had a seven-year-old who had gone to sleep and hadn't woken up. And uh, the struggle from the outside. And then another one that was there that had a 14-year-old that was walking down the street in their little town and was hit by a drunk and killed. You know, that's from the outside. I don't know uh, of uh, deeper suffering. But here, in a sense, we are, this is uh, self-created uh, in, uh, in movement, uh, in chanting, in painting, uh, in finding the still point. Risky. Risky business. I think back in my own life, one of the... Uh, oh, I was a downhill racer, and I was thinking when I was uh, uh, 15, I remember I told my, my parents were divorced, and, and I grew up in Switzerland, and I remember telling my mother that I was arriving. My dad, my father was in Cairo, and, and I, I gave him one date uh, that I was arriving, which was two, le- two weeks later than when I told my mother. So at 15, I take off and spend a week in Rome and a week in Athens. (laughs) So you kind of get the idea here, you know. But I remember then when I was, um, I was 22 years old, uh, and I was living in Kathmandu, and I'd kind of torn all the bridges behind me. And someone told me, about this ashram uh, in India uh, on the Ganges where you were sure to get enlightened. But all you had to do was go there and you had to give everything away. And you had to prompt, you entered for three years. 
And I went to this huge liberation, you know, of, of, uh, of giving, uh, in Kathmandu, of giving, uh, and I didn't have very many possessions, but giving them all away. And going down to this uh, ashram on the Ganges in Bihar state, uh, and this teacher, Satyananda Saraswati, and going, and I had kind of dreadlock hair, you know, it was kind of, I was a sadhu type. And going down, and I remember going through this ceremony with all these Indians of, of shaving my head and, and sort of these promises of celibacy and, and poverty. and uh, It was so intense uh, from the inside of just this kind of concept of who I thought I was. Know, and kind of dying to that. And it was such, uh, it felt like such a risk. You know. And I remember we had a, on the second floor, there was a dormitory. We all, there were about 40 of us. And we all slept sort of Indian style, you know, all next to each other. And um, at night I would wake up and, and it was so foreign to me. And I would, I would go, what have I done? I was crying. And something about having shaved my head, and we had to wear a geru, which was just uh, like orange G-string with a little uh, you know, uh, piece of cloth around you with a little lodi, a little uh, cloth, and then uh, uh, a geru, an orange shirt. And I don't think I had felt so far away. I felt like finally I had... Uh, leapt off with all my armor on. And one of the things was this three-year process was the first uh, couple months was, I didn't get it at first. What he was doing was trying to tear down who we thought we were. So suddenly, you know, the bells would go off at one o'clock in the morning and we'd get up and we'd go down and we'd do breath of fire for an hour. And... um, And I would go back upstairs and I wondered what I was doing. And outside in the back of this ashram, there was a place where they brought and they, and this sounds nuts anyway, they came and they killed pigs. And what they did was, I don't know, they took, excuse me, but they took and they squeezed their, you know, what's. And they cried like children. And they would do it like four in the morning. And then there was something about when they killed them before dawn and, and to bring all the blood to the surface. And so you would hear this crying at night and uh, before we'd get up. And my whole body, it was just like this trembling inside me. Like I had finally, you know, uh, there was no turning back. I, had, I was beyond um, hope at that point. So I'm going to stop story there for a minute. I'm going to read something because I want to move into this um, next part of this. Uh, I'll come back to that part.
So uh, this is uh, written uh, about a dear friend of mine lost her nine-year-old son to a sudden and tragic accident. Her then 11-year-old daughter spiraled down into a labyrinth of pain. For years, it permeated and penetrated her life. When she finally began to turn the corner, she wrote the most revealing piece on the journey of awakening called Through. There is this thing I've been going around for years, this thing that I must go through. I've gone to the left of it and the right of it. I've climbed over it and tunneled under it. But unless you go through it, it won't take you where you want to be. You'll end up someplace else, which is is where I find myself once again. This ritual passage through is something that I have feared and sought to avoid for years. And it can be avoided, for lifetimes even. But eventually we must all make that journey through. I realize this now. I feel it, even physically. It's time. There will continue to be excuses that I could use to abort this decision. There will always be excuses, especially for the imaginative and rebellious mind. But I'm committed now. I know the rewards will be great. I've always known this, just as I've always known that I would make it to this light I seek that lies at the mythical but very real other side. It is hard not to judge myself harshly for trying so long and so laboriously to overcome this obstacle by doing everything except going through it. But then again, the spirit that drove me to the hot sands of Crete, the misty streets of Munich, and the icy waters of Alaska is the same spirit that brings me to where I am today, which is face to face with this thing I have run from for so long. And although I have not yet gone through it, there is a small particle of peace that comes from simply looking it in the eye. It is ever so slightly smaller than I thought. It is definable, not infinite. It is definable, not infinite. I I cannot deny the feelings of defeat that I have had for not having found a clever way around this. There is a part of me that feels that if I was just a little smarter, I could have made it. And I still feel like there's a, there are crafty people out there who have made it successfully, quote, around, even though I know that's probably not true. Nonetheless, I still manage to feel inferior to these fictitious demigods who have beaten the system. I wanted with all my heart to be one of them. But I guess I will just have to settle for simply getting there, even if I have to trudge through it in this regular old way. So to finish story here, one of the things that happened in this a kind of internal trembling and, and recognizing all the layers that I had built up and all the stories. And one of the things at night and day is uh, we would do all these sort of exercises and, 
and a lot of pushing. And, and one of the things that happened is we begged for our food in this t- small town of Bihar. And uh, there had been a drought for uh, four years. There was no food mm. in the village. So we got boiled wheat and chilies. Mm. That's all we had to eat, once a day. Mm. Um, and being a Westerner, I was used to, uh, uh, it seems like they did fine, but I was used to having grown up um, in the West, uh, and I'd been a vegetarian for quite a while, but I couldn't survive on that. So I just got thinner and thinner and um, weaker and weaker, you know, uh, which is why I had to leave eventually because of malnutrition. But one of the things was, one of the men there was a pharmacist who was in his uh, late 60s. And one of the things is there's, in India, there are the four stages of life. And he had uh, owned a farm, so he spoke very good English. Uh, and he had left everything and gone off in search, uh, really, of his uh, connection, his divinity. And one of the beauties was I would go with him up in this tower that overlooked the Ganges, and it was kind of a very ancient place. And I would go up and I would sit with him in the evenings about dusk. And he had, uh, for 40 years, he had done this devotional practice of uh, envisioning uh, a deity, and I would sit with him. He would have me come and sit with in front of him. And in this, the, the power of his, uh, of his faith and his practice, it would come to me, his images would come in my mind. And I could feel that there was uh, something else that was uh, possible. And what that was, was uh, as the years have gone by, and I, I, he, without him, I couldn't have made it. You know, that sometimes we'd sit up there for an hour, hour and a half, and he would talk to me, and, and a lovely, uh, just a lovely heart. But what it was all about was simply that when one goes in for this trembling, and recognizes the, uh, the density uh, of the armoring itself. Uh, and not dealing with the old stories, uh, but that there was some place inside that was more powerful than the layers of paper and paper mache uh, was that there was a place inside uh, that one could come to uh, that was more than all that's around us. And it's simply a place, you know, we use the word intuition sometimes. And so much has been spoken here about uh, we have to go to the body. Uh, This practice is so simple. Uh, It is our willingness to be embodied to be here fully, you know, to be in our wholeness, to own the darkness as well as the light. And to find that in the center of all this, 
there is our capacity to trust what's here, to recognize that uh, you are enough, and whatever the situation is, is enough. But it takes somehow that challenge. Uh, maybe that warriorship, or sometimes I think for myself, folly. Uh, but so be it. So this is from Rilke. It's a translation from Robert Bly about, to me, uh, this practice of uh, coming and owning the body and trusting uh, that there is a harmony that uh, is deeper than all our personal stuff that's available to us uh, if we can simply get out of our own way. And it's uh, simply called the swan. This clumsy living that moves, lumbering as if in ropes, through what is not done, reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks. And to die, which is the letting go of the ground we stand on and cling to every day, is like the swan when he nervously lets himself down into the water, which receives him gaily and which flows under and after him, wave after wave, while the swan, unmoving and marvelously calm, is pleased to be carried, each moment more fully grown, more like a king, composed farther and farther on. All practices are pointing uh, to this place. And yes, it's true that somehow our understanding that there's some kind of comfort and solid ground and place that, uh, that you can, an island that you can be safe in, is not what this is about. Uh, this is about our willingness to understand this is about a river, a flow of being. That the moment that you try to grab a hold, uh, as the water rushes by, you try to grab the roots, you know, you'll just get root burn. <laughs> you know, the water is very swift. And uh, sometimes it's a little less, but many times it's raging. And our belief is that somehow if we go towards the shore and we can get there and we can 
that it'll be solid and it'll be safe there. That this trembling inside is pointing us a different direction. It's pointing us out to the center of the river, into the center of the flow. And in the center of that flow is this ability to soften, uh, to trust that the body itself floats, not to struggle, but to simply float, to relax. When one can make oneself to that center, here, right now, in your body, as you kind of listen to me, uh, there is this possibility of hearing and being here in all your senses, and yet there's part inside that knows, that feels here. And that that trust, that enoughness, recognizes what this is. You haven't been separate from it. Ever. Your need to stop the flow, to go towards the shore, to grab a hold and hold it, has been the confusion. But your willingness to float out here in the center is to recognize the wakefulness, this energetic flow that uh, is not here in any way to harm you or cause you a problem. Uh, It is actually uh, here as an affirmation of this awakening of the Buddha. He didn't discover it. If anything, he just simply rediscovered something that was already there. And he was just a very, very good, you could say, map maker. He was able to translate the terrain and give a good map. But we all have this. Uh, We are that. And in a way, our practice here is first we have to recognize the trembling. We have to feel it somehow and and, uh, take that uh, risk of of, uh, feeling this beckoning and the curiosity seems like many fierce images come when we do that and forcing us to jump off of the moat. Which seems uh, like an impossible task.
This is from Lao Tzu. It is the child that sees the primordial secret in nature, and it is the child of ourselves we return to. The child within us is simple and daring enough to live the secret. The child within us is simple and daring enough to live the secret. I think that's probably enough to work with. Uh, I have a poem from oh, part of Sri Nisargadath Maharaj, which Anna closed with last night, so I felt that I had to follow suit because um, it's appropriate. All you need is already within you. Only you must approach yourself with reverence and love. Self-hatred and self-distrust are grievous errors. Your constant flight from pain and search for pleasure is a sign of love you you bear for yourself. All I plead with you is this. Make love of yourself. Perfect. Deny yourself nothing. Give yourself infinity and eternity and discover these you do not need them. You are beyond. So let's just sit for a moment. This talk was given by John Travis at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on September 23, 2003. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.